Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Come on, side, 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 Hey everybody, what's happening out there there in podcast land? It's your boy Ed Lover. Welcome to Come On Son, the podcast. That's right, you heard me. Come on, son, the <laughs> podcast. With all the bullshit going on in this country, I felt it was right to just continue to let my voice be heard by doing this podcast. Come on, son, the podcast. And one thing that I said to myself, I said, Ed, um, you want to do something in the podcast world that a lot of people aren't doing. And one of the things that I wanted to do in the podcast world that I haven't heard, and no disrespect to anybody else out there that has a podcast because I really enjoy a lot of the podcasts, but I wanted to do something called the Music Insider Series. And one of the first people I thought of when I thought of doing a Music Insider Series, and let me explain briefly what a Music Insider Series is all about. It's about people in the entertainment world, in the music business that you may have never heard of, but they're very influential in the music that comes out. And one young lady stood out to me more than anyone else, and it's because I've known her for a damn fucking folk. Miss <laughs> Shanti Dodds is here. How long have we known each other? Ooh, since like 94? Probably 93? earlier than that. When did TLC come out? Well, they came out in like the late 80s, early 90s. Okay, I- so that was it because we did, I did MTV not, um, Street Party and you were with TLC and we took them well, to I Cliff. didn't get hired though until 93. Okay, so, so it had to be 93. It had to be 93. Then maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. it is 94. Yeah. Well, she is the consummate hip-hop professional. She does uh, a series of ATL Live, which is live music in Piedmont Park, which you graced me and let me host. Thank you. Uh, in this Atlanta. past season in Atlanta, Georgia. Yep. It's in the seventh year? Yeah, going into eight now. Going into the year number hopefully eight. Hopefully you'll be back. I hope so, because I, I had a great time doing it. But welcome to Ed Lover Presents Come Thank Ed. you. You know, before ATL Live, when I lived in New York, it was R&B Live. Yeah, it was R&B so I did Live. R&B That's Live right. in New York for That's two years. Right. It was the hottest event in New York. Everybody from Puff to JB. We had Solange before she blew up. Yes, you we did. We had Janelle Monae on the stage That's before right. she blew That's up. That's right. I remember so, like, R&B Live. It was at the place called uh, Spotlight, Lounge. Spotlight Lounge. And then what happened with Spotlight Lounge is the, the young girl that worked there, some creep, yeah, murdered her up. upstairs yeah, on the roof, up right? Yep. And it shut down the whole entire place. Yeah. But y'all had Spotlight Live popping. So, yeah. How did a young lady from Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> with no experience in the music business, end up at one of the biggest labels, LaFace Records, and, and several labels? How did that happen? You know, Ed, I really just hustled in a good way. We hear that that term thrown around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hustle. I the hustle grind. The everybody grind. in the fucking grind. But it grind. was a strategic grind and a strategic hustle. I went to Syracuse. Shout out to Why? Derek Coleman and all Why? my pizza Why the hell no, did right? you just go to Georgia? Cold. Georgia Tech, one of them stay warm. Why would you go to Syracuse? Real story? Yeah. Okay. Everybody that knows me know I was a huge football fan and basketball fan. Still a big sports fan. So oh in God. high school, I used to watch the Syracuse basketball team. Follow and this one on Instagram or any of her social media and listen to her go the fuck off about <laughs> when the Falcons lose yep. or the Hawks or any yep. of the teams that she loves. I can curse right. my teams out, but you can't. But That's anyway, right. Um, so, true story, it was like my sophomore year in high school and Syracuse was playing um, Illinois, I okay. think it was, in like the final four or one of the final games. 
um, leading up to the championship. And I was like, yo, this team is dope. And so I was like, let me see what the college is about. And so it was really just that, watching them at a basketball game. And I, like, you know, admired the basketball program. And then once I realized they had a great communications program, I was like, hmm, let me get us a shot. And for me, too, it wasn't just about, you know, a lot of people go to college and they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to find myself. I'm going to party. I'm going to go crazy. Mm -hmm. I did all that in high school. Like, going to a school like Mays High School, um, we had a lot of like of a lot of our kids' parents were upperly mobile, and they all worked whether they were blue collar jobs, you know, or white collar jobs. We came from an environment where you got your ass out there and you worked. Were there right? any notables in the music business or in any film industry today that you went to high school with? Oh um, gosh, yeah, Chili was in my class. Chili was in your yeah, we class. Went to high school together. CeeLo went to Mays, although he didn't graduate. He went to <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I'm, that's not a diss. And he'll he'll tell you that. He right. didn't end up finishing at Mays. But, okay. you know, we count him as a Raider. Okay. Um, A lot of people, like, if, even if they didn't go to Mays, like Lil John, the okay. rapper, we all hung out in the same social circles. How and, was Chili? You know, Big Boy and them went to Tri-Cities. Chili was cool. I mean, she was a little quiet, kind of quiet, but she could always dance and you know, had a bubbly personality. Aspirations of being in the music business yeah. even then? Did I think her dancing it? is probably, and I'm sorry, Chili, don't, if I get this wrong, don't right. be mad at me. But I think she went to an audition for dancing mm-hmm. initially, and that's how she got discovered, you know, from Pebbles. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay, so you you, so you bring your ass from warm ass Atlanta, Georgia, all the way to Syracuse to study communications. Mm-hmm. You were interested in radio and television and film? I, I was, um, because Newhouse is like one of the top schools in the country. And I didn't get accepted into Newhouse initially. I got in, accepted into the VPA School of Performing Arts. But I knew I wanted to do communications, so I bust my butt and worked my butt off my freshman year and then got accepted into Newhouse my sophomore year. And then I started working at the college radio station. Were you on air? <laughs> two to four in the morning. Two to four in the, the morning. The graveyard shift. Under what name? Not Shanti Das. You had to have a radio handle. It was Shoestring. Shoestring. That's Which where you, that's it came where from. started. Yes. And then also on Saturdays, I had a homeboy who actually is still doing radio, Kendall Lamar, Kendall B is what we call him, um, in Denver. He had a hip-hop show on Saturday nights. And so I started doing, this is like in 91, the entertainment segment. So, like, literally I would write to record companies when we didn't have computers and get them to send us hip-hop music for our show. And I would hand-write, you know, all of um, just everything, you know, the reviews and all of that about the mm-hmm. singles and the albums. So I had something called Shoestrings Hip-Hop Tip. Okay. And that's what started me. And then when Kendall graduated, he gave me the show. So I had my own hip-hop show. So you had your own hip-hop show. Do you yeah. remember some of the songs that you used to review? God, DOS Effects. They uh, want effects, stuff yeah, like Yeah, like I first met Naughty by Nature when they came to the station. KG remembers coming into the WJPZ radio station. That's when we first met. I remember going up to Tupac at this convention. I was a junior at Syracuse, and he was at this conference in D.C., and I went up and asked him for a radio drop. And this is when he was really still hanging out with Digital Underground. Right. Um, and the, the uh, what's the guy's name who manages Common? Derek Dudley. Okay. Did an event called the Cultural Initiative. Do you remember that conference yeah, in D.C.? Yeah, absolutely. That's where I first met Pac and started getting stuff from my station. So, yeah, I was on my grind. So you was moving and shaking even then. People thought I already worked in the industry when I was at Syracuse because I was, like, bouncing all over the place. But you were getting what, what was needed at that time, which was getting your introduction, getting your foot in the door, corresponding right. with different networking. with different labels Mel and networking. Mel Smith, who, you know, worked for Uptown for many years, who still works for Cash Money now. Mel was a mentor of mine. He let me come. I literally slept on Mel's floor. When I was in school, I took the Greyhound bus. Now, you know, Syracuse to New York is like a three-hour drive. Jesus Christ. It took me eight hours on the Greyhound bus to get from Syracuse to Manhattan to go to this Uptown Records boat party where it was like Mary J. Blige, Jodeci, because I wanted to get there and network. I was like, y'all going to know me. I'm going to get a job. Right. And then after college, did it did it develop? Did, what happened to your radio aspirations? Why did you get into the music business? Because I ended up, you know, making a lot of connections in Atlanta and L.A. Reed and Babyface, you know, had set up shop here. Mm-hmm. And there was so much going on from the Jack the Rapper convention. You oh, know, I remember those Jack to, the Rappers. And, and then at the time, you know, all the labels had branches here. You I know, bailed Tupac out of jail at a Jack the Rapper Are convention. Are you serious? Yeah, we're up, <laughs> we're, up on the, we're up on the rooftop and Pac was smoking, notorious for smoking yeah, weed. Of so course. I didn't smoke the way him and Stretch from the last car, God rest his soul, the way they smoked. Mm-hmm. I didn't smoke like that. So I was always yeah. holding the box of blunts in 
smoking all the weed <laughs> in my pocket. And I kept telling him to stop smoking. And the guy at security kept telling me, yo, you got to stop smoking up here. Yeah. You know, Pac was in his Pac mode. Fuck what? that. Fuck out of my face, nigga. Smoking, bah, bah, bah. I said, Pac, they're going to go get the police. Y'all need to stop. Yep. So what I did, because the guy knew that I was with him, I gave all the weed to Nikki D. I was like, Nikki D, hold this, because when the cops come, they're not going to look at you. They know I'm with these knucklehead exactly. niggas. So the, when the cops eventually came and searched us all, I didn't have anything on me, but Pac had a like a quarter of a blunt. Oh, no. Yeah, and, and they, they arrested him, him for it. They locked him up. I got him out the same day, fucking knucklehead. Yeah. yeah, so that was one of my Pac experiences. Yeah. From Jack the Rapper was a really big conventional. It was like the premier conference for right. people in the business. It was not about Atlanta. It was not about the Southeast. It was a national Music convention. Yeah. And everybody from Prince to Janet Jackson. Because you know how I got into my first Jack the Rapper? How? Jermaine Dupree's father, shout out to Michael Malden, he snuck us in. Me, Dola Mix, and JD. Wow. We None of us had passes. Yeah, I didn't have a pass. Like, I met JD when I was in high school. Really? Mm-hmm. I've been knowing JD for years. When JD didn't have a, a bed in his room, he just had two turntables. I was like, this well, kid this, is this going This is before somewhere. the Silk Towns leather... This days? was right around the Silk Town's Leather Days. Now, Silk Town's Leather was his first right. group that he's ever exactly. had. Yep. Was Silk Town's Leather. And you knew him then? Yeah. Did you see something in him? What did you oh, see absolutely. in Jermaine? That's what I'm saying. Like, J.D. did not have a real bed in his bedroom. Dude had two turntables. Like, he practiced his craft 24-7. What was going on in Atlanta at the time? What was the vibe like? In Atlanta, because I know Eric Sermon from EPMD had moved to Atlanta. Yeah, I used he to see up, him all the time. He set up a rim shop. Mm-hmm. Jermaine was doing his Silk Times leather thing. And then all of a sudden, L.A. and Reed, L.A. Reed and Babyface come to Atlanta and open up LaFace Records. But Atlanta was already bubbling with it was, absolutely. A music. What was going on in Atlanta? I mean, because, you know, pre-Outcast and even pre-Crisscross, you know, booty shake music, you know, bass music, as right. they call it. MC was, Shy D was, is actually Shady from Atlanta. was popping, you know, even like Luke coming from Florida. You right. know, we listened to a lot of Throw That D, you know, all that stuff in right. Atlanta. Um, Raheem the Dream, all those cats. So, yeah, there was already kind of like a, a vibrant music scene. And dancing was popular. Like, we had the Yeekin and all of that, a lot of dance groups. I was in a dance group. I ain't what, even what, that. What was this, this dance group you in? So it was called Lady Silk. Okay. But our male counterparts um, were J.M. Silk. And they used to play in all of the, um, you know, the talent shows and stuff around the city. Mm-hmm. My group actually won, like, third place in the Thorough Talent Show. We did Columbia Talent Show. Um, so we already had a vibrant, like, cultural music and entertainment scene it mm-hmm. just hadn't broke national right and so when la and babyface came they really just kind of like opened up the floodgates it was like your your uncle's coming you know with all the money to to invest <laughs> right? you know what I'm saying? like okay let me get let me you know bring all these kids together and that's really just it like la you know all these guys whether it's dallas austin whether it's you know jermaine dupree you know shakespeare all of these producers he put on right and allowed them to work on those projects. And those guys started seeing checks that they had never seen in their that's, lives. Because that's, that's when, you know, records really sold. You had brick-and-mortar retail stores. So, like, going over to Tower Records for an in-store mm-hmm. was huge. You know, you'd have hundreds of people lined up outside. you selling millions of records. And so by the label, meaning LaFace, having all that disposable income, we could reinvest and give all these people side deals. And that's, remember, everybody was getting a production deal right. back then. Right. And you ended up at LaFace Records. How did did you get your job at LaFace Records? So I used to um, intern at Capitol Records in two summers of my... um, In New York City? No, here in Atlanta. In Atlanta. I worked for... Capitol had an office in the old... In the same building that the old LaFace office was in. Okay, a little satellite office. Yeah, exactly. So instead of taking coffee breaks, I took LaFace breaks. And so I got to know a young lady (laughs) named Charlotte Asbury... Um, Lamont Bowles was um, heading up LaFace Records at the time. And they used to just let me come up. And Charlotte was like, I see this little kid everywhere. And she just kind of got to be my big sister. And so I was like, when I leave LaFace, I mean, when I leave Syracuse, I want to come back and apply, you know, at LaFace. And so sure enough, that's why it's important, whoever listening, that you can't burn bridges because you never know when you're going to have to go back and Mm -hmm. deal with some of the same people to further your career. So the guy that hired me at Capitol started consulting for L.A. and Babyface. And I'll never forget, he called me. I was in New York, and he was like, listen, LaFace Records is starting to staff up. They need people to work, like, in the clubs and, you know, help out at radio and on the street side. And they have a promotions director position open, and I want to recommend you for it. And can we curse? 
Yeah, and this, I was this, like, this is good, <laughs> son. The motherfucking podcast. So I was like, fucking, are you kidding me? I'm, I don't know what promotions director that's means. A, that's a big ass position. I want to apply for it. And so, you know, I came back home to Atlanta. I got the interview with Scott Folks, who was the general manager at the time. And then L.A. interviewed me. And the funny thing is, L.A. remembered me because I played myself one time. Um, this was while I was still at Syracuse. One summer, I went to D.C. Remember the Budweiser Superfest? Absolutely. So I flew to D.C. to see my homegirl who was in a summer program at Howard to go to the Budweiser Superfest. So here I am. I'm at Delta Baggage Claim. And my bags are coming around. I'm a little short chick, you know. So my bag comes around. But you know how when your bag is like all the way at the top and you right. can't really get to it? So I touched this dude on the shoulder and I was like, excuse me, can you get my bag for me? And he turned around and looked at me and I was like, okay, dude, it's tripping. Like, so the bag went back around, come back around. I was like, dude, like. <laughs> Yo, son, come on, son. Right, can like, you, can... <laughs> you help me get my bag. So he looked at me again crazy and finally got my bag, handed me my bag. So fast forward, I go to the payphone because this is pre-cell phone. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I took my bag, was on the payphone, calling my homegirl like, Yo, I'm headed your way. I'm about to jump in this taxi. Not two minutes later, it was like a scene from Coming to America. I see this guy, like, <clears throat> come around the bend with, like, 10 sky caps with him, all this freaking Louis Vuitton luggage. I had asked L.A. Reid to get my luggage. L.A. Reid with the Jerry Curl, L.A. Reid, though? I don't think he had a curl. Did he have the curl or the perm? He did. I think he might have had a perm. This is the deal, L.A. Reid. This is the drummer from the deal, L.A. Reid, that goes on to produce Mercedes Boys. Well, he had LaFace, though, at the time. It was the very early stages of LaFace Records. So you tapped L.A. Reid to actually get your back. So it was L.A. that I had asked, and I was so embarrassed. Because I I remember Pebbles was performing on the Superfest, and so I I was like, shit, like I just asked this guy who's a multimillionaire to get me my luggage. Right. So I ended up running into him when I got back to Atlanta. Because remember I told you Capitol was in the same building as LaFace? Mm-hmm. I ran into him in the elevator bank. Oh, he was man. like, ah. He was like, I remember you. I was so freaking embarrassed. <laughs> but he said he liked me because I was assertive. Okay. And I wasn't afraid to ask for what I wanted. And he was like, I like your energy. And so when we had the interview, he talked about He always laughs and tells people, like, yo, she, I get her luggage. Like, that's my job. Right. And he gave you the position. He, I mean, obviously, based on the interview and my credentials and the experience that I had had. And he was like, I just want somebody that's young and hungry. And he, I mean, I hit the road running. Like, Tony Braxton was on tour with Frankie Beverly and Mays, and he threw me out on the road to set up Are all the meetings. Are you kidding groups. me? That was my first role. Tell me about your initial meeting with Tony Braxton. Oh, wow. Was I, she in superstar status already? No, she was. I mean,. Well, another sad love song was out, oh right? And God, that record blew up. Right. So she already had a hit record on the radio. But she was very gracious to me, very kind. Um, and you know, yeah, I was just I was running around backstage making sure all the listeners and winners got to meet her and all the program directors and music directors and then, you know, LA put me on Outcast, that players ball record. Right. So which which a lot of people don't know was a Christmas record. It was from the Christmas album. That, right. You're absolutely right. And so it started getting so much buzz in Atlanta with all the DJs that they were like, wait a minute, this probably should be their first single. So they went back in and had, you know, organized, take out all the Christmas references and stuff, which, you know, that story has been told. But, um, yeah, after that, it was it. So he put you on Outcast. Do you remember meeting the guys for the first time? And, and what was it like for a woman to step into that realm of organized noise dungeon family that is like, a hundred percent men. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> except for like Peaches, you know. Who yeah, was the album. right. But yeah, it was not a lot of females at the time. Um, the guys were nice to me. You know, they were cool. I think they were trying to fill me out. You know, Respectful. like anything else. Definitely, no, no one disrespected me. And you know, back then I was wearing baggy clothes, so I kind of came in, you know, looking a little different because I was a sneak ahead at Syracuse. You know, I was wearing my jeans to the back to support J.D. You know, right. while I was at Syracuse. For Chris Cross. Me so too. I already was kind of like this little hip-hop head anyway. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of blended in in that respect. But I remember going into the dungeon. The first time I ever went in the dungeon, you know, over by Lakewood Stadium, the first original dungeon. Right. It was this red clay on the basement floor. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then just being there in the environment and the vibe, I was like, wow, this is where the magic really happens. Yeah, And we would go down, and sometimes it would just be me, Rico, and the guys, and Mr. DJ. And we, I still got a picture of just, like, the four of us in the dungeon. We would have our meetings. And so Rico would have to talk to me a lot to take everything back to L.A. 
Because there was a time when Rico you know, Wade from the, was yeah from organized the noise. de facto leader of organized yeah, noise you could say right absolutely. people look at him as like you know the the leader of the group if yeah. you will um, in the most respectful way but there was a time where L A wasn't really you know he didn't really understand hip hop you know he didn't come from that game no he, he definitely was a didn't come from R and B and pop guy yeah. right yeah. and so yeah. he, he kind of couple of smashes before right a lot he of handed them. that to me you know to be kind of the voice of the label you know as it related to hip hop were you worried about your salary. When you first got that job, do you remember what you were being paid when you first got promotion what? director's job? Oh, right out of college, I was making thirty thousand dollars as promotion director. I thought I was rich. <laughs> <laughs> I was were like, you, oh you word, live, I'm about to leave the crib. I got you, my you first. You were living at home at that time. Four months after I got that job, I got my first apartment. My friend um, mother had bought a house for her, so I, you know, moved into the other side and paid her rent. Then I bought my first car which was a white Mitsubishi Eclipse. Go, girl. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> I thought I was balling. Right. And so for back then, out of college, $30,000 was a lot of money. In yeah, hell yeah. Are you hell kidding yeah. me? Yeah, hell yeah. It was a lot of damn money. <laughs> and so for, and then we started getting the bonuses because we were selling all these records. And so for a long time, salary wasn't an issue for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and then quickly, I found myself making over $100,000. Wow. You were part of one of the most controversial yet prophetic things that's ever been said at an award show. You were yes. with Outkast. Was that 95? 95. 1995 Source mm-hmm. Awards hosted yep. by myself and Dr. Dre. Yep. Madison Square Garden. That's the same one that Suge stood up on the mic and said, if you don't want yeah, all up, all in, the up video, in the video, come to death row. Come to death row. <laughs> and then you guys won the Source Award. Best for New Artist. Best New Artist. And there was a little a little cavalcade of bulls going a on little. in there. There was a lot of booze <laughs> up in that piece. But you know what I realized after doing careful research? I think the booze more so came from the fact that a New York rapper did not win. Right. As opposed to them just really, really hating on Cass as much. I think some of that was booze towards Cass, and then some of it was more of a regional thing. Right. Like, how y'all going to let these mofos from the South come up and win Best New Artist? And, and Andre 3000 prophetically stood on that yes, stage and said, The South got something to say. And they did. And they did. And they after absolutely that, did. And now this is one of the most heralded, one of the most beloved groups of all time. It's outcast. I mean, everyone, when you talk groups, I haven't ever talked to anybody that did not have outcasts in their top five. Oh, yeah. Of all time. That's that's really saying Those something. Those guys are special. And he's still, did you know this? Did you see this in these guys? Yeah, because you know what was so cool that I loved about them? And, and um, you know, I, I will say this much. You know, a lot of times how people decide to say the record company tries to change you or mm-hmm. make you into something that you're not. L.A. didn't do that. He allowed Rico and, and, and Big and Dre, you know, to really bring forth their vision and to carry it out. And if you remember, in after the, the first album, we, when we got onto AT Aliens, Big and Dre started doing a lot of the writing and production. Right. And so... Big was, you know, Big was everybody's everyday player, right? You know, wearing the the jerseys and chains and and the hats, you know, with the sports paraphernalia. And then Dre slowly put that turban on, and then he (laughs) (laughs) he slowly started kind of gravitating towards just being free and open Mm -hmm. and doing whatever he wanted to creatively from a fashion standpoint. And I'll never forget being at um, one of the photo shoots for Quimini, when he, we were like in the flower field and Dre had on maybe a dress or a wig and we were all just like, you know what? I don't know. He he clearly got a vision, so we just got to let him do it. Right. So I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, we the label kind of at first was like, whoa, what is this? Which, what direction? But we did not stifle him. Okay. We allowed him to do it and he clearly had a vision and it worked. Yeah, he he absolutely. And so those guys were special early on. That's why, you know, we called him the player and the poet. You right. Know, because they both both had very, you know, different, you know, distinctive um features and characteristics, if you will, about their music, about the complexion of their identity and everything and and, and they just lived it to the fullest. Being a promotion director for LaFace Records, an up and coming label under Arista, under the parent company. Um, with L.A. and Babyface at the time together as partners in the label, coming off of all of those hits, now you got a group like Outkast that is a very Atlanta, Mm Southern-based hip-hop group. Mm -hmm. But you have to promote them and pretty much sell them to every market across the country. What was your hardest market to get them played in? New York. Really? Yeah. What was the reaction from the program directors or Well, let me just say this, like... um 
for those of you that didn't know, just like um, LaFace, you know, was under the Arista and BMG umbrella, so was Bad Boy. Right. And so we did a lot of promotional tours early on with, with Big. He was one of my top five rappers of all time. Shout out contrary to what other people might be saying, other young cats out there. <coughs> Little young. <guy. coughs> yeah, but um, anyway, uh, nothing is questionable about Big. I loved him. But, you know, we got the support from, like, Bad Boy and Big. And, you know, it was even mentioned um, in that VH1 documentary, you know, that Puff actually was part of the director's team mm-hmm. for Players Ball. So we had a lot of early on support from that crew from New York. So that was kind of a blessing for us. But, like, the first people that really showed a love outside of the South was the Bay Area. Oh, wow. So, like, Sway and Tech, you know, who had the wake-up show back yeah. then on KML. They gave us a lot of love. Uh, Greg Street, who was in Dallas at the time, okay, was one of the first people to ever play us, you know, out of Texas. And so we got a lot of love right there. And then we would do all these other hole in the walls and get to New York. And it was like, it's like we would hit a brick wall or have to press on the brakes because it was just so difficult for these guys for whatever reasons. Like, I mean, I heard all kind of stuff from, man, fuck them country ass niggas. Like, what up? <laughs> you know, this shit ain't real hip hop. I mean, we, we got really like, I don't know, just dogged out by a lot of people. But then on the flip side, there were some cats, like I said, in New York, you know, mm-hmm. that supported us. Um, shout out to Case Slay. Case Slay was one of the first people because people knew Case Slay was a DJ um, back. He was an underground DJ, and then he went on to be on Hot 97. But he played. He was known for playing the underground music. Right. He didn't play the hits like Flex was playing on Hot. And so he was one of the first people in New York. You were one of the first people to support us um, in New York. So thank you, you know, for, for being open to just a different sound. But it took us a while to crack New York. Right. But boy, once we did... <laughs> it was on, it was and, on popping. and popping. Yeah, and New it York was, was like the last. It was hard for us though, because and this is crazy too. Being in New York City, the MTV Awards, you know, used to be at Radio City every year, and this was maybe on a Now they were already outcast, multi platinum, huge and successful. We weren't on the show this one year, but they tried to make us go in through the front door. Oh wow! And here you got other New York cats who might not had an album, you know, from. The Wu-Tang guys, they might not even be in the show, but they all get to go in backstage. I still felt like we, they treated us sometimes like second-class citizens in New York. Wow. And they were like, eh, whatever. Right. And that it's like we might have been getting a critical acclaim, but some of the streets were still like not really checking for us. And I thought that was just so disrespectful that y'all would not let us at the MTV Awards enter from the backstage. Who cares if we were on the show or not? It was freaking outcast. Right. You going to send them in through the front? And they're a multi-platinum Come group. On, son. At the time. Yeah, good luck, son, to that. <laughs> People ought to be ashamed of themselves for that. And you were also very instrumental in Usher. Yeah. Like you t- you were saying earlier, you guys had that relationship with Bad Boy and mm-hmm. with Puff. And you sent, you guys we sent Usher. We shipped them off to yeah. live with Puff for like Whose idea months. was that? It was L.A. and Puff, you know, talking and, and going back and forth and you know, we obviously, um, the one good thing I loved about LaFace is we did a lot of, you know, our marketing and internal meetings, you know, where we would, I called them keep it real meetings. Okay. Like, okay, what does this project really need? What do we need to do? We need to, like, send them on a date with Nia Long or somebody so they can show up on the red carpet. You know what I mean? We, we uh-huh. really strategically planned out appearances for our artists and stuff like that. And, you know, Usher was I a really- I don't think you would send nobody on a date with Nia Long at that time. Wasn't that, wasn't that L.A. squeeze at that time? Okay, I don't know about all that. But, I but know, you know about what I'm that. Saying. Come like, on, Shanti. We were both at L.A. Reed's 40th birthday party. <laughs> no, I think party. they hung out a little bit. The, shit, it was more than a little bit. All right, but go ahead. Go <laughs> but ahead. you know what I'm saying. We're going to talk a, about a, that a birthday party. A pretty girl or an actress, you know what I'm right. saying, who already was out there. That's kind of what I meant. But, um, yeah, like he needed a little bit more flavor, if you will. He mm-hmm. was just a nice, sweet kid, you know, who had come here from Chattanooga and, you know, was trying to find his way. And we just love what you know puff had been able to do kind of with i mean mary was mary but i think puff added a little flavor no, he to added that. all the flavor and, he, to that. and, and even though sing. jodeci was jodeci you know he he still to me jodeci were four country niggas from north carolina he gave puff him flavor gave in terms of flavor. dress and style yes sir and so more than anything it was almost like sending him to swag school okay right? to get a little bit of that you know that shit if you will right. you know in new york and so it worked out and so you know usher I think, you know, started wearing some of the 5001 stuff. And oh, yeah. Going Big to shout out to Guy and, yeah. and, and, and Troy. No doubt, Troy. I ain't seen Troy in years. <laughs> yeah, right? But, yeah. Um, oh, God. I got to get know, them on the podcast. some of that and then just going to the club with Puff. And it, it was just more than anything, you know, New York is a different lifestyle than the South, mm-hmm. right? So they party differently. The Kind of the swagger was differently. 
Um, so it was just nice to infuse a little bit of that into, you know, the swag he already and, had. And what music came out of it? What, what Did he get a hit out of that? Marsha got hits out of that, didn't he? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, don't quote me, but, you know, that's back when, you know, You Make Me Wanna and all of those, yeah. those days were coming out. Yeah. I mean, songs. Um, but, like, with Usher, I did a lot of the promotions, like, the first, what, three years of his career leading into my way. Um, and he did. I, I just got to say, he's one of the most professional artists I've ever worked with. Really? Even at a young age? Because he, oh he was hella God. young when he, he got to He was such a perfectionist. 14, and 15? I think, you know, a lot of that had to do, you know, with his mom. Shout out to J. Pat. She was managing him at the time. But, like, she kept him on his toes. You know, Usher went to rehearsals. You know, he rehearsed 24-7. He right. perfected his vocals, you know, in the booth. He was always in the studio. And he always was a forward thinker. Like, I remember even sometimes just taking him some ideas I had, even if it was the smallest thing from what we did on the street level, he always was like, no, nah, but it's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger. He that's, that's the one thing I remember about him. He was always thinking big. You have touched so many artists, and at one time, you even had your own production deal. I was going to have my with own LaFace, you were with supposed LaFace, to. but I was supposed to find my artist first. And you did find and one. I did find one. And tell and everybody who that artist is. I know, <laughs> but I want the world to know how instrumental Miss Shanti Daz has been in this music business. Tell tell everybody the story that I already Well, I know. have to just say that this artist was doing a great job on his own, you know, of building a buzz in the marketplace. So he had other people that was interested. It's not like I necessarily cultivated his craft. But I did go to him, and, and I probably talked to him and his manager for like six or seven months. We went back and forth, and I still have a contract at home that says Shoestring Entertainment and dot, dot, dot with this person. But it was signing day, and I you know, had done my paperwork with LaFace, and this artist was very clear. He was like, look, I got other people you know, on me, and I really don't need to do a production deal. I can just sign direct. Mm-hmm. But I saw what you did with Outkast and Goody. I respect that, and I know how hard you go, and I I will do it for you. I will sign this deal to your production company, but I already had to have a deal with LaFace. That was just, you know, the stipulation. I was like, that's fair enough, right? Because if you can go get a deal direct to a major label, I got to make sure my deal is solid before you even come my way. So I went into the office. I put the, um, you know, back then it was demos. (laughs) I put the tape back in, and L.A. was like, I don't hear it. And, you know, we all miss stuff, right? Oh, yeah. But that was, whew, I just hate that I didn't have enough fight in me at the time. I think I was so disappointed by the whole thing that I just went back to my artist and I was like, you know what? It's not going to work. And just, tell everybody who that artist is. It was ludicrous. Wow. And yeah. L.A. Reid did not hear ludicrous. Nope. Do you remember what was on that demo? You know, Fat Rabbit and, you know, all the other songs he had back then. But Fat Rabbit was the one that got me. I was like, this kid's delivery and his flow. I just right. felt like it was a different Wait, like Outkast obviously opened up the doors, but then Luda came rushing in with just kind of a different flow. Mm-hmm. Um, strong and catchy and, and sexy, very witty, very clever. Yeah. Um, we missed it. We and missed LA it. Missed, the, missed the boat on that one, huh? Yeah. Could have had Luda, Chris. But, you know, he's had a lot of great wins, you know, <laughs> over the years. That was, that was one. What do you think? You were, you were just saying that <laughs> we've all had stuff that we've missed of course what do you think is the biggest song you ever missed out on that you might have heard maybe you worked it maybe you didn't want to work it maybe there's an artist that came across you that you was like mm, nah i don't think so maybe it's something somebody else let you hear mm, you tell me yours i'll question. definitely tell you mine I'm trying to think that we miss um well i can't say me per se but i'll say because there's no i in team i think our team missed the boat um on crafting a marie because I feel like she only had, she had one or two hits. Like, I worked that one hit that she had. Um, oh, it's in my head. It's just one thing yeah, that got me you. tripping. Yeah. So yeah. I always did the marketing on that project. Okay. But I felt like we dropped the ball on really following up. Because to me, she could have had a career like an Ashanti, right? Mm-hmm. I think she's a good vocalist. Maybe not on the Whitney Houston level, but she can sing. She could dance. She was a cute girl. Um, and I just think we, we missed the boat on that one. And then there was an artist on LaFace called Sam Salter. I remember Sam Salter. Sam was not like a superstar, but Sam, again, another good, solid artist. And he's, that one album to me is a classic that somebody could come and probably re-record, but I think we missed the boat. I think, think he just got lost. ball on it? Well, he just got lost in the sauce on everything else. You know how sometimes you have so many artists. And so many big artists. And so many big artists that you can't, you know, somebody's going to lose. You're just not going to have enough 
radio space on the schedule to to impact the records of radio enough mm-hmm. you know um touring opportunities we just had too much going on were you there when tlc took off and, and blew up but first before <laughs> we get to tlc let me tell you the one that i totally yeah, missed who the did you miss? mr mike kaiser who is now senior vice president yeah. of black music who was working records at def jam the promotional capacity yeah. came to me when i was at hot 97 mm-hmm. took me into uh, the room where the DJs, there's a booth where the DJs were, and he put a record on, and he said, Eddie Mack, this is our next big artist on Def Jam. Listen to this. And the record was Get At Me, Dog by DMX. Ooh. And I was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> oh, wow. I was like, this motherfucker's barking. <laughs> like, come the fuck on. I came from an era where you didn't wow. use a beat if somebody else had used it yeah. previously, <laughs> and it was the same. Dan, 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 dan. Dre used mm-hmm. it for California Love. Mm-hmm. EPMD had used it for Get All the Bozak. And I was like, come on, you can't take somebody else's beat. Fuck out of here. This art <laughs> with the deal shit. Fuck no. Get out of here, Kaiser. Wow. Totally missed the boat. Did um, Hot 97 when I was there. We had a basketball team that I put together called the Hot 97 Hot Shots. Mm-hmm. We could play charity games. Okay. And we go up to Westchester County, and we're playing the charity game. And at the half, the DJ drops, get at me, dog. And I bet they went crazy. And they went fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah. And I knocked myself in the head like, idiot. <laughs> you could that broke shit, that record. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had an opportunity yeah. to break that yeah. record. Wow. And I, I will never forgive myself. And I always tell DMX that, and he laughs about it. You're a fucking asshole. <laughs> You hear that shit? You a fucking dick. You always like to get at me about the shit because I missed the boat. But you know, we're on that human. One we record. all miss stuff. Yeah, absolutely. LA dropped Gaga, too. Did he? Wow. For a long time, you were considered the fourth member of TLC. Because <laughs> I think our height. And I was with them so much. You were the with them twenty four seven three sixty five, especially the, the crazy sexy cool album. Like I went everywhere with them. Right, Tokyo. You were there tour. watching them go from a good group to an amazing group of superstars. Massive. Tell me about that transformation. Well, I mean, again, the thing I respected about what L.A. and Pebbles did for them is they allowed them to be themselves. That's why it worked. We've seen a lot of girl groups. But I don't think, um, whether it was the labels or what have you, that they did a good enough job or allowing the girls to not only be a group, but to really have their individual personality shine. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, Chili was the sexy one. Lisa was the crazy one. Absolutely. And T-Boz was the cool one. And they really personify every meaning of those individual words as it related to them. Were you there during the during the Andre Rison episode? I was there when she yeah. Yeah. I remember you brought them to Hot ninety seven to see me. Uh-huh. And you were like you told me you said, Ed, we can't talk about the Andre Rison thing. Yeah. And I said, Well, you girls might as well turn around and walk out the studio <laughs> right know. now because I have to That's ask the question. Remember they want to cover a vibe. Yeah. And I was like, I have to ask the question or my audience will kill me when I get back in the streets. Now if you answer no comment because yeah. of such and such and such that's different but the, please don't tell me not to ask the question and I asked the question and left eye said Ed come on now you know we're going through this court stuff like that right. and, and that and, was what was the reason and, it was all yeah. you know legal yeah it was reason. all legal because yeah. they were always up front and exactly. we were we were all so very cool together and in all fairness Elisa may she rest in peace um yeah, I don't condone obviously her conduct in any way. Mm-hmm. She never meant to burn his entire house down. Mm. Yeah, it was a mistake. It was, it was pretty she got accident. mad. It was a. She got mad at him over you know something that any couple might get mad about, and I think she wanted to, in her mind, teach him a lesson. And so she was like, "I'm gonna mess with a few of his sneakers." Oh, because he had the crazy sneakers. You don't mess with a black man's sneakers now. So I, you work. know, and this has been a while, so don't quote me. Two months. Um, allegedly, she put the sneakers in the tub. Allegedly. And I guess it caught fire to the rest of the Okay. And then it caught uh, onto well, other rooms. It was really just to kind of like, yeah, mess with a few of the sneakers, I think, initially. So. See that? There was probably some cheap-ass sneakers. You ain't put no real <laughs> shit in the tub because you couldn't burn up no real shit. But, you no, probably... I mean, those girls. But you know what? The turning point, I think, for the group was waterfalls. Mm. After they put waterfalls out, I was like, Jesus. Like, they went from $3 million to $10 million. Instantly. That album... Oh my God, our sales worldwide like skyrocketed. 
because it was just such a great song and the video it was shot on like the universal lot i right. mean that was back when put a lot of money in that video budgets was million dollars on a video oh that's y'all nothing. spent a million dollars on that video i don't know exactly but it was up there <laughs> we spent a lot let me just say we spent a lot of money is but it true it, that sometimes la as a promotion director la would shoot more than one video oh yeah we shot several creep videos you know, but, but again, that's when we were selling a lot of money and we had more disposable income to put into marketing and promotions. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a practice that he made for every single group. But if it was, you know, like Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart or TLC or a big outcast, like, you know, when you had your real superstar acts, you had to make sure that the visuals was right. That's why I loved how L.A. and Babyface got out, because to me, they were like the mo- the new Motown, if mm-hmm. you will, of the music industry. And so they took artist development seriously. So they weren't going to put out some bullshit images or a video that didn't really show their artists in the best light. And if we could afford it, and it's it's almost like it's no different than when you throw money on investments, right? Mm-hmm. This was their investment. So they were like, okay, let me put a little bit more money into Risky this investment. Risky, but it paid off. Yeah, big time. One of the greatest parties I've ever attended with you was L.A. Reid's 40th oh my birthday God. party. Classic. My brother-in-law, shout Atlanta, out to Bobby Georgia. Arnold, who's really my brother. He talks about you. He's like, yo, me and Lovell was doing the bird in L.A.'s backyard. Did we? L.A. Reid had a 40th birthday party in Atlanta, Georgia. Invitation only. Three-day event, remember? Kedar Massenburg couldn't remember? get in because it, it was before he blew up. That's right. First night was the dinner. Yep. Second night was the party at his mansion. Mm-hmm. Third day was the brunch. The brunch. Um, facials, back rubs. All and of he that. gave out. Remember, he gave out the the, the role. Do you still have yours? I don't. I Me don't know either. Where mine is. What the fuck did I do I with it? I lost so much of that. Oh stuff. my god! <laughs> and on the back of the robe is this big ass plush robe. On the back, it said "L.A. Reid's 40th oh Birthday Party." That was the best party of life. The young man who put that party together for him, David Watkins, rest in David peace. David Watkins, may he rest in peace. Soldier, we lost. Yeah, great guy, right there. Do yeah. you remember that? Of course. It was several checkpoints before you got to like the house. Th- it was three checkpoints before you could even get into the house. Kedar Madsenberg, who goes on to give us numerous Erica great Badu, acts, Erica Badu, Joe, everybody, Joe. Not Everybody, a great soul artist. Right. Neo soul, rather. Yeah, and was head of Motown at one yep. point. Was an attorney at that time. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I think he might not have been on one. Of, he got past, I think, the first checkpoint. Right. But I don't think he got past the he second one. He never got in the door. And, God bless him. And the thing that was so hardcore about it is when you didn't make the checkpoint, they made you get off the golf cart. No. They had another <laughs> golf cart waiting. To take and they, you back. Yeah, and I rode in on the golf course with Queen Latifah and Shot Cam. Wow. Yeah, and 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 Troy from 5001 Flavor. Wow. And all of us on the same golf. And Kidar, and he had to get off ooh, the golf cart, get on another. He never made it Come in on, that son. party. And that that is the first time that I have ever seen. You probably have been to a lot of great parties. Oh, of course. Puffs parties. Are you uh, kidding uh, me? But nobody, like nobody did, did it, did that, it like way. that He had a champagne bar. Do you remember this? He had a hand-rolled person, hand-rolling cigars. When I say champagne bar, most people think that means you go to the bar and you give them a glass and you get a glass of champagne. L.A. had any kind of champagne you wanted. (laughs) Buy the bottle, am I lying? Absolutely. Buy the fucking bottle. Didn't tell anybody who was performing that night. Mm -hmm. Funkmaster Flex was on the turntables. Never told anybody who was performing that night. We're all on his on his uh, tennis court. Yep. He had the tennis court covered he in a tent. a tent. Exactly. He had it tented. We all having a good time. I'm laughing with Tony Braxton. The girls from TLC are there. We having a good time. You're there. She had that white dress on. Yeah, yep. me and you tripping. Oh my god. We laughing. So Your brother in law. We laughing yep. and smoking cigars and drinking champagne. And I'll never forget this. The lights went out. <laughs> and you heard the band doom 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 warming up and went up and you heard. What time is it? And the lights came on. People went crazy. And it was the time. And not just the time. It was the fucking original time. You remember Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis had been gone from the time. And they didn't do any shit together. Mm -mm. And he had Jam, Lewis, Jelly Bean, Monty Moi, Jesse, fucking Morris, and Jerome. The original time at his house? I think that will go down as one of the best parties in the entertainment industry, period. Ever. 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 In his backyard. In his backyard. And the next day, we came back over for brunch. We had massages. We had facials. We I ain't had gonna manicures. Lie, like, we I'm had pedicures. so grateful. Like, you know, aside from everything, like, I have a lot to thank L.A. Reid for, just in terms of giving me the opportunity to not only just come into the industry right out of college, But he taught me a lot that I know about, like the finer things in life, luxury, understanding, you know, 
what it takes to really work hard and to see it pay off and, and for it all to come to fruition. And at the time, we really worked as a team. But you worked hard. Oh, yeah. He gave a little, he gave an intern yeah. out of Syracuse University Promotions the director. promotion director. And most people job. get hired as an assistant. Right. I skipped it. And, I, and I thank God all the time. Like, I skipped that part. But I did that in college, right? So I felt like I was the, I was the assistant at Capitol, but it paid off so that once I got my real job, I came in with a director's position. And I talk to a lot of my mentees because I speak at a lot of colleges nowadays telling these kids, like, don't let your superiors and your bosses tell you titles don't matter because that's bullshit. You equate that to dollars. Mm-hmm. And so if you never get promoted and people just say, oh, I'm going to throw you a little money. No, especially as a woman, don't fall for that shit. Right. You need an assistant title, assistant director, you know, promotions manager. All that stuff matters because it equates to dollars. You have, and if you think you don't, then somebody's pulling the wool over your eyes. You have been able to maintain a certain level of respect in this music business that few women have ever been able to maintain. Um, Sylvia Rohn is one of them. You're one of them. And there's a few others. How have you been able to maintain that with no rumors Swirling around, oh, Shanti, fuck this one. Shanti, fuck that one. How have you been able to do that? Well, first of all, I'm no saint, you know, right? We all have whatever we did, you know, people we dated because it's a social industry. But the thing about it is I did it on my terms. And if I liked you and I decided to hang out with you, it's because I genuinely liked you. I, I took off the record company hat and just put on my human hat. I didn't do it to get something in return. Mm. And that's where a lot of people fall short. And, you know, whatever, I can't judge people. You know, you get into the business however you do it, and that's on you. How do you look at it right now, though? Because you came in a certain way, and you've done the book, The Hip Hop Professional, The Hip Hop Professional 2.0, that Mm -hmm. people can pick up all over everywhere. Everybody reads this book. I've had young ladies that have been talking to me about the music business for years, and I was like, read this. Mm, How do you. you combat that, which you're preaching in your book, to the let me fuck and then I'm famous and it's happening. Yeah, it is. I mean, again, there are different They say people. the hoes are winning. <laughs> yeah. I've, How I've, do you tell somebody not to be a hoe when I've, the hoes are winning? I've heard that term, you know, but it depends on, you know, if you want to be able to sleep at night. Like, for me, it's different people make the world go around, Ed. I can't change the world, but what I can try so to do. So you're saying we need the hoes too? <laughs> I'm just saying hoes got to eat. No, I'm just kidding. Hoes got to eat. Hoe cake. <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, um, I stand for a different woman, you know, in America, in the world, on the planet. You know, I stand besides and, and, you know, on top of the shoulders of women like Michelle Obama, you know, women that came before me um, that are really out there that share the same values that I do. Mm -hmm. So I am trying to appeal. So not only to women that share my same values, but to those that are kind of like at a crossroads trying to figure out what to do. And, And life is about choice. And all I can do is offer a different choice. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying I want someone to read my book, The Hip Hop Professional, and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to do exactly what she did so I can be the next Shanti Doss. No, you need to pull a little bit from what I'm saying and then surround yourself with other like-minded women. Do your research. Do your homework. It's a lot of other women outside of, you know, myself and Sylvia that have great reputations that have paved the way from Tambisa M. Shaka to Sherry Riley, who was formerly Sherry Hughley, to Deidre Tate. You know, some wonderful women in the business. Um, Julie Greenwald. Mm-hmm. That you can, like, pattern yourselves behind but like i can't save the world but what i can try to do is keep inspiring you know and keep putting my story out there and what i say to the people who want to just get rich quick or sleep your way to the top like just think about what that's going to say about your legacy if you don't give a damn or shit about your legacy then okay go go do your thing spread your legs (laughs) do whatever and live your life but if you know if certain things morals and values come into play and you care about you know certain things for you know, the people that come behind you or kids or whatever, and you're trying to raise your family or generation in a certain direction, then, yeah, you need to pay attention to what you're doing. And you don't need to just put everything out there on your timeline for everybody to see. You know, your girls don't That's need to be out That's what got Kim Kardashian ass robbed, all right? Putting everything out on that damn I mean, timeline. everybody don't need to see everything. That's mm. no different than, yeah, sometimes I want to put on a sexy dress and put the girls out and go out and have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Live, live, do your thing. But you don't need your girls out 24-7. And don't get mad if you go into a meeting and your girls are, like, disrespectfully out. <laughs> and then somebody makes a comment. And then right. you get mad about it. And then you want to cry slut-shaming. I mean, I come from, maybe I'm just old school. And I come from the What's school of, that? like, you know, 
you get back what you put out there. Right. And so I am me, and it doesn't mean I'm not afraid to, of my femininity and afraid to be, you know, a woman and, and be proud of who I am, but that's just certain shit I'm just not going to do. Right. My mama taught me differently. You want to be respected on a yeah, certain man, level. man, that shit matters to me. When, when I it's go all to sleep s- at night, I sleep peacefully. When it's all said and done, what do you think the legacy of Shanti Das is? Um, one that was of service. Um, to others one that lifted as she climbed I do a lot of charity work a lot of community service work and I'm really trying to uplift a new nation of individuals we're at an interesting time in our country right now mm-hmm. um, I don't try to impose my spiritual or political beliefs on anyone but I did vote Democrat um, and we got shut down we got shut the fuck well, down well we got shut the fuck down it was down. an unprecedented win um, and now one we didn't expect now that right? I'm just trying to make it a mission of trying to get to the millennials and the young people so they can understand the process of voting, the process of government, um, so that you at least just understand how it works. Because don't yell and kick and scream if you don't exercise your own rights. So we got to get a little bit back to the basics because I think what's happening in these schools now is they're teaching these kids what they need to know just so they can pass these tests. But they're not teaching them enough about government, about community, they're about not civic engagement. Them. No. And so as the hip hop professional, I just hope I can keep inspiring and keep uplifting. Yeah. I think that is your legacy. It is. God had to use me as a vessel in music and be around all these wonderful artists. And then at the same time, be able to pull artists back to do more into the community. Mm. And, and you've be a done community it. advocate. You continue to do it. You're a true hip hop professional in the true music industry. And you're inside a professional and too. I am so proud. To say that you're my friend. Thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you. Shanti Dodds, Music Industry Insiders. Come on, side. The podcast with your boy Ed Lover. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> Where we can find her. I think you should ask her. You. Oh, my social media. Yeah, yeah. And my book on video and, and um, okay. on. Um, on hell, what are you doing? Who this? Come, come on, son. Why you got me on pause? Hello? Yes, this is Ed. Who's this? Oh, my God. I ran. I butt knocked you by mistake. <laughs> That's okay. How random. <laughs> my bad. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm not sure who I'm talking to, though. Paula, what up, P? You all right? I'm good. Good. I'm just in here doing my podcast right now. Everything's cool? Everything is good. Good to see you. You too, Ma. Be well, all right? All right, you too. Peace out. All right, so you want to add that? Okay. Okay. All right. So, so Shanti, how do people find you? How do they find your books? How do they get in touch with you? They got work. How do they do that? So you can reach me um, at ShantiDoss404 on Instagram, on Twitter, um, on Facebook. It's uh, slash The Hip Hop Professional or Press Reset Entertainment. And if you want to pick up the book, The Hip Hop Professional 2.0, you can get on my website at www.pressresetent.com. And then also, if you have any questions about um, the work that I'm doing in the community or any volunteer work for my mental health issues or feeding the homeless, um, you can reach me at Shanti at Hip Hop Pro, Shanti at Hip Hop Pro dot O-R-G. And I'll be yeah. launching the Hip Hop Professional Foundation at the top of the year. And at the same time, Ed Lover will be sticking a knife in her back trying to make her write her autobiography on her damn life because it's <laughs> way more interesting than we had time for. Oh, thank you. I love you, girl. <laughs> love you. Too. Shanti Doth, baby. Come on, son. Come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. Come on, son. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.